Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 503, Big Dragon Energy. Big Chillians, welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going? Yeah, things are going pretty well. Slowly recovering from the cold. Probably wasn't the ideal weekend. The torrential downpour at Longchamp probably didn't help the recovery, but getting there. What a surprise it rained at the Ark. <laughs> it was the worst weather I've ever encountered on the day there. Like... It's normal in the buildup or even on the day to have some rain, but there were serious moments during that where it was just, I mean, we've had that one year at Ascot, right? Where the weather was just terrible. It was reminiscent of that, but with even less cover. So it was not pleasant. Yeah. The only thing more unpleasant than going to the races when it's raining in a downpour is when it's raining in a downpour and you can't catch a winner. (laughs) Well, check all of those boxes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it wasn't. That didn't help the mood of a lot of people in the camp. That's for sure. Overall, though, I mean, at least the, the arc was a good race. And, you know, we discussed beforehand that it was a weak field. And besides maybe Alpinista, who could be a star, there weren't many stars there. And it turned out that Alpinista maybe is the star and won the race. So I think that from a perspective will make that arc look better than it was because the right horse won. Had Alpinista not won, I think you look back on this arc and say, like, that was an off year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were a few storylines, right, that could have made it. And that was one of them. I think there were about four that could have sort of made the race look obviously if you'd had a defending champion win and he came close from a bad draw i mean that was a pretty good run um and same if luxembourg had won you could have at least started to say well that's an exciting horse for the future o'brien's just sort of the excuse for luxembourg's poor run is that it tweaked a a muscle early on in the race so that's the sort of excuse for why it sort of semi-flopped um, and then I guess, yeah, if title holder had won, then you get the Japanese story, which is quite nice. And for a while, I mean, when title holder turned for home and was cruising, I thought, okay, it's got a chance here. And then it, but so is Alpinista. That it was, was, that was it, an impressive ride. That yeah. was an impressive ride. And, and, he, and, and he held, he held for a long time before he, he asked her to go. Yeah, and it's it's you know it's weird because it's very nice to see for for Sir Mark Prescott obviously, and then and for Luke Morris as well, and it's just strange for Luke Morris because he's a jockey that you associate with, you know, all weather racing and kind of evening cards in England. Not exactly someone you associate with Grade Ones and and big horse, you know, big rides and and sort of standout horses. And I mean, he followed it up yesterday by having a double at, at Wolverhampton, which is kind of his bread and butter so <laughs> to win. wouldn't even take the day off at wolverhampton <laughs> no won the arc on sunday and was back at the he did evening racing at wolverhampton on saturday won the arc on sunday back at wolverhampton on sunday on monday so you have That's to crazy. admire the the dedication there to just yeah kind of doing what he does well the only other horse thing i think we should mention while we're talking about horse racing uh is is, a, is another jockey who 
you might say, uh, isn't as impressive right now. And that's Christophe Sumier, who... Sumion. Sumion, sorry. Who, for those who didn't see, uh, gave a nice little uh, people's elbow during a race to a fellow jockey and (laughs) knocked him off pretty badly. Uh, I've never seen anything like that. And especially considering whenever we've had jockeys on the podcast or, you know, we've talked to, to other people about jockeys, they seem for the most part very friendly with each other. And they kind of are, you know, they kind of realize that, yes, they can influence the race, but a lot of it is just the horse that's underneath them, you know, and they can only do so much. So I think there's kind of that respect for each other. Um, but that was different level. (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting, right? Because there's been some mixed reviews. Some jockeys have come out in defense of Sumio and said that it's a genuine racing maneuver, including uh, Ruby Walsh, who came out and said, look, he just got it wrong. Like he was trying to do something that is acceptable and it just, he didn't execute it properly. And so it's all gone wrong. And then obviously you have other people who say it's completely unacceptable. I think the issue I have the most with it is the context the time during the race when it happened if that had happened in the final couple of furlongs and you really need racing room and you've got to get out because otherwise the race is over i can i think you can maybe see where he's coming from but coming around the bend in a small field where you would have known sooner or later he was going to get his chance to clean run i think that's where you you have to have take more issue with it and yeah it was uncomfortable a little bit at Longshore on the weekend because obviously he's got this 60-day ban, but the ban doesn't come in with immediate effect because it gives him chance to appeal and stuff, and that's just standard policy. Longshore came out and said they didn't really want him racing that weekend. Um, you had the Aga Khan who came out and said probably don't want him racing this weekend either, who's who's the owner who has him on retainer. Today, the Aga Not anymore. Khan, yeah. <laughs> Although today the Ekacon has come out and said they he's no longer on retainer, but he may still ride for them sometimes. So it it seems like a kind of non-firing firing. It's very if we strange. We just really need a win. <laughs> yeah. It's like we need to do the right thing from a PR perspective and distance ourselves, but when the timing is right, we'll bring him back on. Um but yeah, it's uh and it it's weird the way Ruby Walsh, I mean, he tried to defend it on ITV Racing, I think it was, comparing it with like long distance runners when they elbow each other or like how Erling Holland, I think that was his other comparison, would try and create space for himself by using his elbows. And he was quite rightly, it was rightfully pointed out to him that the difference is, you know, that Erling Holland's not traveling at 35 miles an hour on top of another animal. Yeah. And so his yeah. life, his life is not at risk or the defender's life yeah. is not at risk when he tries to sort of shoulder him off the ball. So it's a little bit different. And, and, and even in the running, it's kind of what you were saying, right? Like if you're vying for position at the end and you're trying to, you know, get out and make your final move, it's slightly understandable. Like I, I, you know, and especially in running too, you know, like if you're boxing and you need to get out, you, you do need to, make push your way through right and i mean you see jockeys push their way through often what you don't see often happen is in a 14 lap race halfway through the second lap some guy out of nowhere just elbows the guy next to him and knocks him out of the race that's not what you're seeing so that's kind of the difference was it was just at a very early time in the race where it wasn't necessary you know he was just next to him he wasn't really pushing him in he wasn't holding him in at the time it wasn't like 
uh, Simeon was trying to get out of that quickly. So that was just it just doesn't look good from from the perspective of it. It just makes you look like you're just pulling a cheap shot on someone. Yeah, and and I think he also you know he's fortunate in two respects. One that Ross Orion wasn't too badly hurt, which is you know the story is really different if that's a serious injury. And the other thing is, I think he's slightly fortunate that it was Ross Orion that he did it to and not say Ryan Moore. Like how big is the, how much bigger is the controversy if one of the jockeys who was going to ride one of the big favorites in the arc is missing the weekend because of what Sumion did on Friday as it transpires. And maybe he wouldn't have done it to them. You know, that's the other thing. Like would there have been more respect and more caution had that been a better known jockey and not to, to kind of downplay Ross Orion, but he's not, you know, a, a big name. Uh, in international racing and maybe that would have maybe he would have been treated differently and also i think sumion the backlash would have been even greater like if that's Tatori, who he's just put out for a couple of months you know i think the outrage is even bigger than it was yeah agreed and i guess erling holland came up over the course of that discussion and uh eddie i'm gonna ask you again does he, break is he the gonna record? break the premier league goal record I'm going to give you one last shot, Eddie. This is it. It's the last time I ask you before he does it and you can't take any credit. (laughs) I mean, I've I've said no, so I've got to stick to no, right? I can't change. I'll let you amend it. I'll let you amend it. No, I'm I'm still going to bank on the fact that as rotation comes in and he's history would tell us he picks up a, a small injury at some point. And I think, but I mean, look, he's already broken one record. He's the fastest to three hat tricks. Did you so, see the difference between him and Ronaldo? It's fucking insane. <laughs> well, I don't think it, it's not even Ronaldo. I mean, because Ronaldo's a little bit of an unfair comparison, right? Because people think of Ronaldo now as this great goal scorer. But when he first came into play, you know, he was a, a genuine winger when he first started playing for United and not taking penalties or anything. So, But when you compare him to the list of the other players. So, I mean, for starters, he's the first player in Premier League history to, to, to score a hat trick in three consecutive matches. So he has that record in the bag after eight Premier League appearances. And then, insane. And then he yeah reached three Premier League hat-tricks in eight appearances. Second fastest to three Premier League hat-tricks is Michael Owen, with which that took him 48 matches. Then you have Ruth Van Nistelrooy, 59. <laughs> Fernando Torres, 64. Andy Cole, 65. And Luis Suarez, 71. So, I mean, the, the question is how many hat-tricks... If you think Michael Owen was the, the was the fastest to three hat tricks in forty eight matches, in the next forty matches, how many hat tricks does Holland score? I'm gonna go at least four more, one every ten. Yeah, that seems fair. Yeah. So no, I mean, look, I'll stand by what I think. He is at some moment in time, he is going to break the record. And if he sticks with City for the remainder of his career, then he's got a very good chance of breaking the all-time, you know, which is current goal scorer's record, which is currently held by Alan Shearer. Harry Kane will probably break that record before he retires. So, but yeah, I think he's got a genuine chance of of breaking pretty much every goal scoring record. The issue becomes, can he stay fit? Which history would tell us he gets, he picks up small muscle injuries every season and keep saying that that that's your fallback right now it's true <laughs> though it's tough because he's so young too i mean as he's getting older he's going to be getting stronger 
and and you know just his body's going to be maturing so maybe he's not going to pick up the knocks maybe not but he's you know it's just one of those there's that element and then the second thing is how long will he stay at city for you know it's very already clear. reports <laughs> already yeah you've got Alfinger Holland's dad who's already talking about how this is just the you know the next step in his career progression and you know there's he was obviously strongly linked with a move to Spain I think that's obviously a career goal of his is to to play for one of the big clubs in Spain at some point so you know it feels like he's going to have a little bit more of a sort of mercenary approach to his footballing career and you know this enjoy his time at city and then assess where he is three or four seasons from now and see if he can make more money or build a bigger legacy at real madrid or barcelona um so that would be the other thing before people start doesn't have to pay taxes too yeah yeah (laughs) but before people start you know everyone's penciling him in now for breaking every record and it's like well part of the thing that makes for example the all-time goal score record in the premier league part of what makes that achievement so difficult is you need to play you know, 10 to 15 seasons scoring goals consistently every year. That's not easy. Yeah. So he scored that hat trick in the Manchester Derby and also Phil Foden scored a hat trick in that same match. Eddie, is that the first time that's happened in Premier League history? That two players have scored hat tricks? Yes. Hmm. I want to say no, but I can't think of another instance. But I would say no. The answer is no. This is now the third time it's happened. So it happened uh, with Arsenal in 2002, 2003 season, and then happened to Leicester in 2019-2020. Yeah. So it happened recently. And and you have to feel um, no, they can feel sorry for Foden in after a good performance, but he, a little bit. <laughs> he could have he could have been the star of the show, and then which not that he needs because he's such a highly thought of player, but that could have been sort of him stamping his uh, you know sort of presence on this yeah. season because he's maybe not had the he's not set the world on fire so far this season, and yeah. now it's just completely overshadowed by Holland's performance. Yeah, I mean it is tough to. I think especially especially in America because all Americans will see is the goals. But when you watch a lot of those matches, I mean, a lot of that is he's scoring because of Foden and because of De Bruyne who are just controlling the ball and setting him up. And then he's just making this really nice runs and they're just so good at getting him the ball in the right spot. You know, that it's not, I'm not going to say it's an easy goal because the lead up to it is is so impressive. Like the, you know, like, the way they're in sync. But I mean, a lot of that is coming from them and it gets even more overshadowed when he just keeps scoring. So it is a little unfortunate, but when you watch the match, I mean, he, I think Foden's having a great season. It's not just because he's on my fantasy league, but (laughs) (laughs) no, he's a great player. But no, look, you're, you're right. And, and it's always that interesting one, right? So Holland is scoring all of his goals. I think he has one goal slightly outside of the penalty area. All of his other goals have been scored within the inside the box. And so you you know you're talking about a, it's interesting how the interpretation or assessment of that can change. You know, some people would call him like kind of a different type, a different player who is less highly thought of. It's more of a goal poacher or a goal hanger or whatever it is. But there's much more positives associated with the way that he's playing. And yeah, I mean, most of the goals he's scoring are easy finishes. This finish themselves. 
but what you have to admire about him is the is the movement that this kind of sixth sense that he has in terms of getting into that right spot and and you can go online and watch the analysis of how much people love to do this with Messi with like how much he looks around and it's like part of Messi's strength right like his head he's currently he's constantly sort of analyzing where everyone else is and then kind of moving into that space so when he moves into the space, it looks easy, but the ability to assess where that space will be is the skill. And it's the same with Holland. They, they do a lot of freeze frames of like when a cross is coming into the box. And whereas every other player in the box will be looking at the ball, his, he is initially looking at space. And so he's seeing where everyone else is and he's just gambling on, I'm going to go to the one spot nowhere else is. So if the ball arrives here, I will score. Versus... I'm going to go for the ball or I'm going to go to the front post or the back post just automatically because that's what I do. And so, you know, at the moment, certainly all of those gambles in terms of hoping the ball falls to the right spot, they're paying off. Yeah. And then maybe I'm, you know, I've, I've watched a decent amount of cities matches, but you know, not every single one, but it off also seems to me, just like you're saying, his instincts are so good that, he doesn't seem to be like offside as much on a lot of those crosses, whereas a lot of other players you'll see, you know, they break too early and they're just not timing it right. Whereas he just seems to have a knack and just that sixth sense for having the perfect timing, knowing when to go, you know, where to be kind of things like that, that, you know, you see him score more than get a goal called for offside where, you know, other players you'll see, they'll get two or three of those a game almost, you know? Yeah, no, no. I mean, his timing of his runs and everything, it's, you know, you can't, it's one of the, the, the art of just scoring goals. Sometimes it gets underplayed and overlooked to a certain degree. And people just think, well, yeah, anyone could score that tap in, but it's a real skill to know, to find yourself in that space at the right time. It's, you know, people have that knack. And a lot of the great goal scorers over the history of, you know, football and certainly in the Premier League, I think pretty much you'd argue almost every great goal scorer has had that ability. Like that's just something. And I think it's to a degree, like you're almost born with it just to know, oh, I'll, I'll just, I'll just get into that space now. And, you know, the difference of one yard either side is, is all it is the difference between the ball kind of flying slightly by you or you you're tapping it in for a goal. And it is difficult to teach, but it makes a huge, huge difference. I guess the other big story two big storylines from the Premier League. I guess if Sam were on, we could dedicate a little bit more time to Arsenal's fairly impressive victory in the in the North London derby over Spurs in the lunchtime I kickoff. miss that guy. <laughs> I miss Sam so much. But a good performance. I don't think it was a red card. I guess it's the only kind of talking point from the match. I, I think Arsenal probably still would have won, but it certainly changed the dynamic of the game itself. But another... I'm still not overly convinced by Arsenal. Like I don't think that I don't think they have a chance of winning the Premier League. Put it that way, but I think I'd be surprised if they don't finish in the top four, given the start that they've now had. But their fixtures are going to get significantly harder, and that's going to be the real test. Okay, you say they don't have a chance to win. Do they have a chance to be second? Uh, yes, but I think that's mostly because everyone else is faltering, and that's like the. But isn't that what makes them good is that they're not faltering when in the matches they should be winning, they're winning. No, I mean, a lot of these other teams aren't doing. (laughs) You're, you're, you are correct. But it's just, I don't, I'm kind of picking them 
I'm sort of ruling everyone else out and then I'm left with them. And I don't love that as a way of selecting the team that's going to finish second. <laughs> if you see what I mean, like it's like, yeah. okay, I'm because, because the other teams could go on a run of form and then I'll think that they're significantly better than Arsenal. If you see, I mean, look, still early in the season, this weekend will be a big test. They're going to play Liverpool on Sunday. If they win that match, then huge proven themselves to a certain degree. If they don't, then the question marks still very much remain. Yeah, huge match. And then, speaking of Liverpool, slipped up once again to a team that you would have expected them to have beaten. Uh, drew 3-0 with Brighton, came back from 2-0 down, went 3-2 up, and then conceded a late, late equalizer. A conversation I think we've had about four times so far this season. It's but, so frustrating. But I think we can rule them out of the title race now. It's the you know first week of October, and I am confident that there is no way they win the league. Yeah, they're just losing too many points that they can't lose. No, and to teams, yeah, to teams that they shouldn't be dropping points to. And yeah, it's going to require from... I mean, they're almost in the stage now where they nearly need to win every match to have a yeah. chance. Like they're not far off being in that situation. So, and again, another point we've touched on, they've just not looked good. So it's not as if all oh, things are going against them or they're making, you know, the isolated silly mistake. And so that's why they're like Brighton gen- genuinely deserved that point at the weekend. And a lot of the teams that have, you know, beaten or drawn with Liverpool so far this season have deserved it. Liverpool have looked second best defensively. I don't know what's happened to them. I don't know what's happened to Van Dyke. He's gone from being the best central defender in the world to looking decidedly average, which big concerns for Liverpool, big concerns for the Netherlands heading into the World Cup. Um, you know, Alexander Arnold, he's getting so much attention and criticism at the moment, but he's not helping himself because he seems to make a defensive error every time he plays at the moment. So, yeah, it's just everything that made them good in recent seasons seems to be going wrong. Yeah, and I guess as a way to segue into the NFL, I think it was the Sunday night broadcast with Mike Tirico. I think he does Sunday night. Um, I believe it's him and Herb Street. Yeah. is the new Sunday night. I have to say I was slightly impressed. They started talking about the the Dar- Manchester Derby and he used he he used the word derby he said 4-0 he said uh he used like two other english phrases that i was very surprised because usually <laughs> it's like uh, you know if i forget yeah. you know give another announcer they're like oh the premier league is back tomorrow <laughs> and it's like really bad but it, he it was as if he must actually well, he, be a fan he must be a legitimate fan the well, way he was get- talking about it usually get with Americans, right? It's Premier League. Yeah. Already sounds weird to an English ear. But yeah, no, it's... Yeah, I mean, look, there's no doubt that the the sort of... There's a growing level of interest. And yeah, I do think sometimes when you hear in the NFL when they are plugging upcoming games, either it's the Champions League games and they're plugging them or a big Premier League match coming up, you can tell that they've just been given a couple of sentences to read, but they, they have yeah. no idea. They may as well be reading Klingon, you know, like they've got no idea what words are coming out of their mouth. And yeah. then one of them is just going to make a stupid joke after it. Like, oh, I, yeah, I cannot wait to see Dortmund play Besiktas. <laughs> you know, like that's, <laughs> and, then, and then they move on. 
but no, um, yeah, there's definitely more people involved. But as we transition, we talk, I, I actually want to start with one topic that came up. So obviously the Niners got a big win last night in Monday Night Football. And uh, going into that, uh, you had asked a question. And I, I don't know, I think you got an answer last night. And here it is. Where's Debo been? And I think... <laughs> wow. Yeah, to cut that out, I would have just repeated it myself. <laughs> yeah, for listeners who do not know, that is, a, that is an actual audio clip. That is not Frank <laughs> quoting himself. Where's Debo been? That's right now. I was yeah. saying it. And uh, yeah, it was, that was a hell of a touchdown. And even, you know what, I had the Rams and I was happy to see that just because he just blew through Jalen Ramsey and made him look like a little girl, <laughs> baby. <laughs> Right. <laughs> not not good tackler. <laughs> the interesting thing, right, is, and it was the most Jimmy Garoppolo touchdown ever because it was kind of a bad throw. It could have been an yep. interception. Instead, it's a good catch. And then, you know, 70 yards after the catch or whatever it was with a few missed tackles and everything. And all you see on the stat sheet is Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, long touchdown to Debo Samuel. But the reality of it is, well, that could have gone very, very differently. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, the big talking point, we don't have to dedicate too much time to that game. Uh, the Niners' defense looks seriously good. I don't think the Rams are great, and they're missing a lot of players. And it is, as I said, going into the game itself, it is Cooper Cup or nothing for them, really. But the I overall... Mean, that was- that- uh, on, on display yesterday, Cooper yeah. Cup or nothing. And a little bit of Higby. They had Higby going a decent amount, but their and their offensive line is just so depleted. So again, you know, you never know. But the Niners were then missing players from their defensive line as well. So maybe balanced out slightly, but their defense looks really good. Yeah, their defense looked really good. And what was impressive was there were points where you thought, oh, the Rams are getting in a groove. Here we go. Like, if you had said to me their defense looks really good at the end of the first half, I think I could have argued, well, you know, the Rams had two or three really nice drives and just stalled. But then when you put that whole game together, the Niners were able to shut them down on a good amount of drives. And then the ones where they did let them – not let them, but – the the times where the Rams started to get into a rhythm, the Niners were able to really hold on and not let up any big plays and not obviously let up any, any touchdowns. So that is always the indication of a really good defense is when, you know, you can bend, but not break and give up only nine points to a team like that. So that was, that was an impressive display there. Yeah. And, and and to add to that, right. Seven sacks too, by the way, seven Stafford. (laughs) Yeah. I think only one play of more than 20 yards, which was which was in like the second to last drive, you know, right at the end when any already they were kind of not prevent mode, but a little bit sort of standing off a little bit more in, on things. And then also, I mean, one dropped interception that you could have added to that, which would have taken away three more points from one of the field goals. So, yeah, a very complete performance. And then offensively, Debo was more involved. Kittle... Probably still not back to full health, but was there doing a couple Kittle things at times and running game looked good. Um, And it just seems like Shanahan knows how to beat the Rams. I mean, that much is is clear. Yeah, actually, you know, that was one of the things. I don't know if you have that audio clip, Eddie, but of you saying that, uh, you know, you were you were betting on the Niners because, you know, they 
he owns the Rams and he owns McVay. And that was definitely, we had a few on our pick selections of, you know, trends and things to look for that definitely came into fruition. I mean, that is definitely one of them at this point. I think you have to go in, in the regular season, at least betting the Niners to beat the Rams until they could prove otherwise. Cause they literally cannot right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's seven in a row. Right. So yeah, that's the other thing I really enjoy about it. And again, not because I'm just a Niners fan, but those two, those teams genuinely dislike each other. And I really like, particularly in divisional rivalries when teams have, there is bad blood there. You don't want to see anything unpleasant, yeah. obviously, and, and like anything, you know, dangerous or violent, but just the consistent chipping at each other and like little things after plays are, are done with. And you can tell the players really enjoy the sacks or the tackles or the touchdowns and everything. I, it does make it more interesting. The NFC West, I think for the most part has delivered that pretty well because before that you had the Niners and the Seahawks really not liking each other. The Cardinals are kind of the team that gets left left out of all these rivalries, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's good to see. I think it makes you look forward to the games themselves more, even if you're a neutral. And then other big takeaways, bills beat the Ravens came back from a big deficit. Great game. Yeah. A great game. Unless you're a Ravens fan. If I think if you're a Ravens fan, you have to be really disappointed with that second half. Yeah, they threw it away from the, not only from the position they were in, even the position they were in at the end of the game. I mean, that interception at the very end, which was like the one thing you couldn't do. Don't throw an interception in the end zone. <laughs> yeah, it was like, because worst case, you would have said to, you know, worst case scenario, we got them pinned on their own one. Great. And it's like, oh, no, no, no now they're now they're in the 20. Like, it's it's just a radical change. It was the one thing he, he could not do. But and I think it's one of those ones where I wasn't. I didn't come away from it being super impressed by the Bills. Like it was a good win, but I, I didn't kind of, I wasn't blown away by their performance. But at the same time, I didn't really feel like the Ravens lost anything in defeat in terms of how I thought about them. Like I still think when they get to the playoffs, they're capable of beating every anyone. But I mean, I don't think they're the best team in the NFL, but they'll be a difficult team to beat in a playoff scenario. Yeah, I think what impressed me about the Bills, I mean, you look statistically, okay, it's not going to be the most impressive game, but... What is impressive is, you know, they're down 20 to 10 at half and did not look like the better team were definitely the inferior team in that first half. And then came out that second half, just, you know, complete resilience and just dominated that second half, uh, you know, outscored them 13 to nothing and won that game. And that that is impressive is that, you know, they can have that, I guess, that short memory that is pretty important in the NFL. You see it a lot of times with the Chiefs too. The Chiefs can go down sometimes, you know, what, 20 points and still, you know, forget it, turn on a switch and boom, next thing you know, they're up seven. So that is huge in the NFL where things can, things can pile on pretty quickly and they can snowball. So it, that was, I think, an impressive thing to see is that, you know, it didn't seem to phase them. And Josh Allen played well in that second half and kind of took that game over for his team. And, you know, the more you watch him play, I think the more impressed he is that he's a really good leader and you can count on him when you need it. Yeah. And I think the other thing, the other real positive take from them is the Bills, for the most part, one of two things happens to them. They either destroy teams or they lose close games. So in a sense, winning a close game against a good team is getting something of a, you know, 
kind of proving a little bit of a point there. And yeah, you're right. It's like the Chiefs can play with ultimate confidence because they've been there, done that, and they know almost no deficit is insurmountable. Uh, for the Bills, that will fill them with confidence in that they know, okay, even if at halftime or in deep into the third quarter, we're, we're behind by a couple of scores, we know we're capable of slowing another team down and scoring quickly. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good win from them, for them. And I guess speaking of the Chiefs, look like they were back to the Chiefs of old, just winning high-scoring games against good teams. Um, never really looked in doubt a good performance. And you have Patrick Mahomes coming out with his playground plays. God, it is so fun to watch. Like, and, and I get it. It's just some people don't like it and some people aren't impressed by it. But as a fan of football, it's just so fun to watch. Like someone do things that is so anti what the NFL is like the NFL being so structured in this play and run that play. And we're going to catch them, you know, in, in the wrong coverage. And this guy's going to be open because that guy's covering this guy. And then it's like Mahomes is, ah, just, you know, give me the ball. Let me run around a little bit. And then I'm just going to like do a little spin move and half throw, half toss it to this guy in the corner. It's just, it's fun to watch, man. I, I don't care what anyone says. It is, it is It is so cool. You can always just sit and watch a chiefs game and be entertained. I love it. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that's, uh, and I can get it. Look, I think sometimes the, the, like the broken plays, the kind of schoolyard stuff, people maybe put too much sort of skill into those than compared to, you know, I think Mahomes does some things that are way harder than the kind of running around for a little bit and then a little flick. Like there's still a ton of skill in that. Like, don't get me wrong. You cannot stick the average person in an NFL backfield and think that they're going to buy time for, you know, seven to 15 seconds and dodge a couple tacklers and then just gently float a ball over a couple of six foot five players, you know, but still you, I do think sometimes people lose their their minds over those plays when in reality, like a, a much more skillful play was you know, happened three or four plays before. It just doesn't necessarily look as spectacular, but no, it's, it's fun to watch. If someone could just get him to cut that Oakley deal he has so he can stop wearing those stupid sunglasses though. (laughs) Got to get rid of those sunglasses, man. They're killing me. (laughs) It's tough to be a Mahomes supporter when he comes off the plane in the worst looking sunglasses on the planet. He could be the only person in America wearing those sunglasses. That's why Oakley is giving them to him. <laughs> and then um, I guess uh, talking of high-scoring games, uh, you have the Jared Goff. We've spoken about record breakers. Jared Goff has now played started at quarterback in three of the twentieth of three of the twenty highest-scoring games in NFL history. I guess the interesting question to ask out of that, Jared Goff has actually looked pretty decent this season, and obviously the Rams would not undo that move because they won a Super Bowl, and I don't think they win that Super Bowl last year with Jared Goff. But this season, who would you rather have? Matthew Stafford, as you've seen him so far, or Jared Goff, as you've seen him so far? I'd stick with Stafford. For now, I think Stafford is a little injured right now. So when he gets back to 100%, I think he's the better quarterback compared to Jared Goff. They're similar. It's not as if either of them is 
Josh Allen or Mahomes. They're not the ultimate game changer. They're above a game manager, but below an elite level, I think. Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't see a huge difference between them. I think ultimately, like that Rams playoff run will put Stafford on a different level, but they kind of rode their luck along the way and it could have easily gone very differently. And, you know, had they lost one of those games before the Super Bowl that they could have lost, then everyone would be, I think you'd have a lot more discussion going on now about do they regret that trade, which would have been kind of interesting, but they dodged that bullet because you win the Super Bowl and then that justifies everything. I think the better question from that game to ask is for quarterbacks is who would you rather have Geno Smith or Russell Wilson? <laughs> um, yeah, it's not looking great for, for, for Russell Wilson at the moment. No, Eddie, what's not looking great is that subway commercial. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, if anyone who hasn't seen that subway commercial, stop the podcast, go to YouTube and type in Russell Wilson subway commercial. It is cringeworthy. It is awful. (laughs) The thing I have to wonder with Russell Wilson is, like, at what moment in time, it's the question you have to ask yourself with a lot of famous people. Is he in on it? Is he in on the joke? Because, I mean, that commercial, with the fact that he's speaking to no one, it's like a one-way conversation where he's interacting with them, though. And it's impossible to think that would have gone through, you know, multiple people in his team and him. And obviously the Subway people too. I don't think it's a great look for Subway. Okay, it goes viral because it's, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it's not, you know, it's not the best thing from a Subway perspective. Obviously not the worst thing from a Subway perspective because they've had way worse. But yeah. um, I I wonder if there's an element there where he's just thinking like, I'm embracing the kind of dorky athlete look. And Is he the biggest fork in the NFL, Eddie? Hmm. I, I don't think it's even close. Yeah, he probably is. Yeah. Did you see the other? I think was it last week or the week before when he went on the fifty yard line and he like put his hands up and just like went three sixty around <laughs> and, like in the fifty yard. Like, what is he doing? Yeah, no, I think that's the bigger issue I have is so much of it is like performative. It's like even when he, you know, the, the clip went viral of him uh, trying to tell Bronc like people on the sideline to yell, run or pass. Oh God, yeah, and. The runner passed up. And everyone was like, well, NFL teams don't do this. Like, yeah. But that's kind of what you do when you're playing like, you know. Major fork. Yeah. Like at that point, you just, if, you, if, you've, if you've made it, if you're a, a, like a DB in the NFL and you're needing your sideline to tell you run or pass to try and help you make a play, you, you probably shouldn't be in the NFL. And, and I can't remember ever seeing the Seahawks do that, the Legion of Boom getting helped by... Russell Wilson shouting run loudly, but it's just a question there of like how much of it is him just kind of trying to embrace that image and be kind of performative with it. Or is it just, this is his true personality coming out. Yeah. I think it's the latter (laughs) quite possibly. I mean, look, he wasn't liked by a lot of people in Seattle, right? His teammates, he's never been, embraced by his teammates it was that he was really good and they were winning and they were but it was never he was never if you do think about it the legion of boom had their identity they had their close ties and there was never a moment where you felt like well they also like russell wilson it was like no no no. we're now competing who's winning this game the defense or or wilson 
we're, we're trying to prove him wrong here, even though we're on the same team. Yeah. Yeah. They're the Legion of Boom, not the Legion of Boob. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, not a great look. And then uh, other, t- I guess the only other real talking point for me f- was the Packers surviving a scare against the Patriots. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, no, a tough one for you. <laughs> Not to my benefit. No. <laughs> but the Patriot, the Packers continue to look just like sort of okay. They're not quite clicking offensively, but I still just think over the course of the season, they'll just gradually get that little bit better. I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl, but I just think the version that we see of them now well, versus week 18 is going to be very different. Yeah, you say they're not going to win a Super Bowl, but the the issue is is that the NFC right now, I don't know who's the favorite for the NFC. So, yes, if you put all the teams together and rank them and had them do a playoff, then I don't think they're in the top five. But they could still be the best team in the NFC and have have a an easy road to the Super Bowl. I mean, so th- I don't. You know, you have the Bucks, right, who didn't look that great yeah. on Sunday night. You have either the Niners or the Rams coming out of that division who look good but don't look phenomenal. I mean, they both have question marks, right? Is yeah. Garoppolo going to be able to do it? Is Stafford going to get healthy? You know, is that offense going to be able to put up points when they need to? So the the NFC just doesn't look I mean you have the Eagles are the only undefeated team in the NFL coming yeah. in the NFC are the Eagles so, so the, are the Eagles really that good The Eagles are favorites <laughs> to win the NFC right now they're 3 to 1 you have the Packers second I mean should they be I, I mean they've looked pretty good right and they're they are undefeated and and and, the, and you're right it's it's a little bit like me saying with the Arsenal choice to finish second it's it's kind of starting eliminating everyone else first and then kind of working backwards right um and I don't love that but no, I don't think the Eagles. I would not be betting on the Eagles at three to one to win the NFC, just because. No, me neither. You know, this is the first season of them being kind of good. This iteration of them being good, and I'd want to see more from them before I felt confident enough to think of them as favorites. Like I'd be much more tempted. You've got the Rams and the Niners at eight to one. I'd be way more tempted. What are the Giants? Fifty to one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> The three and one Giants looking sweet at fifty to one right now. And hey, if you if you love Geno Smith, the Se- the Seahawks are two hundred to one. They are the oh, the rank outsiders to win the NFC. Uh, yeah, and I guess just touching on the Eagles while we're there, they played the Jaguars, who now I just have the the Eddie curse Trevor Lawrence. Whatever Eddie says about Trevor Lawrence that week, he does the opposite because that was one of the worst games I've seen a quarterback play. And I watched Daniel Jones in his rookie season, and I don't think he ever (laughs) fumbled four times in a game. Trevor Lawrence turned the ball over five times, four fumbles. That was awful. Well, yeah, They could have won that game. Had he just held on to the ball half the time, they probably (laughs) win that game. I mean, yeah. I mean, they were up by 14 points, right? So they had the lead. Um, and, and yeah, it's kind of surprising given the position that they were in and from the Eagles perspective, they proved something. They hadn't scored a point, I think in the second half up until that game. And so they're there, they've got something. And, and yeah, if you're the, if you're the Jags, that would have been a real statement win for them. You know, they're still, 
yes, they had a couple of good performances, but how much do you read into that win against the Chargers with the injury issues that they have? And then this sort of pushes the Jags down from being maybe a like a really legitimate, I'm not even going to say contender this year, but at least like a playoff threat to maybe now, okay, we're, we're a, a while away on that one. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, I'm going to say it now. I've, you know, the past few seasons, I've always said that the Packers to me, they'll get these great records in a regular season, but then I don't think they're really the team that's going to make it all the way to the Super Bowl or win a Super Bowl and that their record kind of flatters them. Looking at the Eagles schedule, I, I right now, if I could, would lay the Eagles as hard as possible because their schedule right now, they're 4-0. Okay. They play, you tell me win or loss. Cardinals? Win. Cowboys? Win. Steelers? Win. Texans? Win. Commanders? Win. They're now 9-0. Yeah. They're now going in 9-0. Yeah. Haven't played a single team over 500, I don't think. No. Colts? I'll say loss. I'll say the Colts okay. are figured. Packers? Loss. Okay, so now they're nine and two. Titans. Uh, I'll say loss. Okay, nine and three. Giants win. Bears win. Eleven and three. Cowboys win. Twelve and three. Saints mm, win. Twelve and four, or sorry, twelve and three. Giants win. 13 and 3 Philadelphia Eagles at the end of the regular season. Are you buying them to win a well, Super Bowl? Don't they have one more game? Having played Isn't it a 17 game season? 16. Oh, 16 and 17 weeks, yeah. Um I I do I think they'll I think yeah, if you look at that schedule, I would expect them to have I mean no more than 5 losses, right? So there's a very good chance they're the number 1 seed on that basis. Sorry, 17. Yeah, yeah. It's, they're 14 and 3. 14 and 3. Sorry. I counted wrong. Yeah, I, I think there's a very good chance based on that schedule they're the number one seed in the NFC. But then. I, yeah, I wish I could put the bet in now. <laughs> Wait, on what? Them to be the number one seed? No, for them to be like, to, lo- to be the number one seed and then lose their first game in the playoffs. I'm going to tweet out to William Hill to get that specific bet. Yeah, I'm sure you. Because I, I, I'm sure. I mean, you literally look at that schedule. The only game they have that's tough, maybe you could say, is versus the Packers at home. They're not playing in Lambeau, so they even get that benefit. And it's a night game, I believe. And maybe the Cowboys towards the end of the season, if the Cowboys get Dak back and start to turn it on a little bit. Yeah, the Cowboys. And and maybe the Saints are a 500 team. So yeah, I mean if the yeah, if Dak is back and the Cowboys, oh well, yeah, Cowboys don't even look bad right now, right? With with uh no. Cooper Rush. So like the Cowboys also 3 and 1. Yeah, but. the Cow- the Cowboys could could start to prove us maybe a little bit wrong and and maybe they're better than we currently think that they are. And yeah, the Saints, their defense is pretty good and it's just a at quarterback they've got issues in terms of both health and just performance and maybe by the end of the season they've figured that out. So yeah, some of those games could become the same with the Titans, right? We, I'm sort of, I don't. I, the Titans is like if Derrick Henry is going to run all over teams like he did at the weekend, then they're very hard to beat. 
but they're so reliant on will Derrick Henry be healthy. If you're telling me going into that week that Derrick Henry is looking great, then that's maybe a tough game for them. But if, you know, that's it's hard to project this far into the future. I'm just going to say it now. Eagles fans, I don't want to hear how unbelievable it is that they lose in the first round of the playoffs after having this great record because they didn't play a single team in the regular season. But, I mean, we see teams like this. I mean, the Packers, I mean, you, you, you've kind of drawn parallels to the Packers. I think we feel we see this. I mean, the Packers do this yeah. every year, right? They have a great regular season record, and then they lose to the Niners. Like, this is this is just kind of what we've seen play out in recent history. It's like, yeah, just pencil it in. The, the Packers are going to get kind of demolished by the Niners uh, in the first round or the second round of the playoffs. And and then we'll, everyone will be questioning, like, how did Aaron Rodgers win the MVP? Then they only lost, like, three games in the regular season, and then they lost by 25 points. And, yeah, it does feel like the Eagles could be on course for a similar sort of thing. And I guess on a little Tua update, to continue our discussion that we've we've obviously, <laughs> I guess, worth mentioning that the uh, A, he's already been ruled out for this week's game as he's still in the concussion protocol. So he will not be playing against the Jets this weekend. And also that the the doctor was fired. So that was the full guy. Everyone else is okay, but the, there you go. the doctor's out the window. Yeah. I, they just have not handled it well from, from that Sunday game. It has been just handled terribly. You know, we spoke off podcast about after the game on Thursday, Tua then met with the team and took the flight home with the team and the head coach tweeted out that, or maybe didn't tweet it out, but maybe he said at the press conference that Tua seemed fine, seemed okay, and was watching movies the whole time. The one thing they tell you not to do when you have a concussion is to stare at a screen for six hours and get on a plane. And they did both of them and then just openly admit that they do it. It's just, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's just been really poorly handled. Um, and it's just not, yeah, as, as we've said on previous episodes, it's just not a great look for anyone involved. But, uh, you know, hopefully... Hopefully they're sensible enough to have him sit out for a few weeks. And as we touched on in the last episode, their schedule is kind enough where they can probably do that without having made any major impact. And also it just allows all of this to, for, you don't want to be watching. I don't want to be watching a Dolphins game over the next couple of weeks, just keeping a close eye as to, as to whether or not I'm going to see Tua be writhing unconscious on the ground again, you know? So that hopefully we avoid that. Yeah. And you know what? I was actually slightly disappointed with maybe not Tua, but maybe his PR team because he released that statement, you know, once he had recovered kind of saying that he's good, he feels good and he can't wait to get back on the field. I get you want to appease the fans and show them that you're a team player and this and that, but that would have been a great opportunity to be like, I just want to make sure I can get healthy and be good and go from there. You know, I don't think any fan would be, would question and be like, Oh, what a baby, you know, what, what a wimp. He's not concerned about coming back. He's worried about his health. You know, it was a good opportunity to really put it out there that concussions are a very serious thing. And when you get multiple concussions in multiple weeks, 
and you are literally unconscious with your hands frozen at your face, that the more important thing there is to make sure that you're healthy and are going to live a full life, then get back on the field to play the Pittsburgh Steelers in two weeks. And they yeah. miss that opportunity really badly. Yeah. And also, too, I mean, I just think people would have accepted it because you would have, you know, you could have spun it as like, look, what we're building here is a, is like a long term project. And we don't need to be short sighted in terms of getting me back on the field for a, you know, a week, sort of five, six, seven game, because what we're trying to do here is be great over the course of a number of seasons. So, yeah, you know, there's so many positive ways to spin it that way would have been hard to disagree with. And instead just being like, I want, I want to be out there as soon as quickly as possible. Yeah. No one else wants you to be. So as soon as I can count to 10 again, I'm out there. (laughs) Even if it's on the fourth try, hopefully they'll still let me get out there. Last little tidbit of the NFL, Eddie, the little betting tidbit. The Eagles are the only undefeated team, but there's only one undefeated team against the spread. Want to take a guess? Oof. Oh. Um, the Falcons. Wow. Great guess. Yeah. The Falcons, 4-0 against the spread. Yes. Yeah, they've been a little bit... Sub- surprising so far this season but that being said I th- yeah he had a one you know a one point loss to the ram uh saints four point loss to the rams and then a win against seattle and now a win against cleveland yeah i think it might all unravel this weekend right but um tampa san fran <laughs> cincy next three games that ain't looking good yeah but, <laughs> talk about schedules <laughs> but it's been an exciting start to the season for them now Speaking of topics we've mentioned previously on the podcast and major controversies, I don't know if you saw, but... Uh, Muddy Duck season two? No. Are we doing it? Even, Are we doing it? No, we're not. I'm not putting myself through that again. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Um, I don't know, so a Russian court... Uh, Black Panther trailer. <laughs> no. <sighs> a Russian court. So no Mighty Ducks and no Marvel. What are you doing to me? No. <laughs> a Russian court on Monday. Uh, set October 25th as the date for Britain. Don't give me the Britney Griner stuff. Britney Griner. You're going to skip. You're going to skip the Black Panther 2 trailer and you're going to go to this. Well, yeah, I think it is more important, right? This is someone being held. Uh, but yeah, Monday, October 25th is the date for her appeal, Britney Griner's appeal against her nine year prison sentence. So be interesting to see what happens there. I guess the moral of this story is don't travel internationally with drugs. No, I mean, I still think it's... <laughs> no, look, she definitely made some mistakes, but yeah, it's still facing a pretty harsh sentence. Uh, and But yeah, it's uh, it must be a, a scary situation to be in if you're her. Yeah, I, I, I would not want to be in a Russian prison for any, any number of years. No, not even, a, not even a day, <laughs> not even a day, <laughs> <laughs> not even visiting as a, as like on a guest pass. I would still not want to be there, but not even touring it. No. <laughs> uh, and, and then speaking of other controversies, we're obviously, you know, we're not too far away from the world cup. We're getting towards a month away from kickoff. And obviously there's huge storylines about, you know, this being held, held in Qatar and, you know, people, as to whether or not people will even watch it, Denmark. I don't know if you saw, but in there, the sh- the shirt, the kit that they'll be wearing, they've made their badge and their sponsor uh, sponsor's badge 
as difficult to see as possible. So they're like they're meeting FIFA's guidelines, but basically they are wearing blank shirts for this because they do not want to sort of endorse the World Cup itself. So uh, uh, it's a what? <laughs> for, <laughs> Don't know if I fully understand this. Anyone who doesn't get it, go ahead. Well, I'll put we'll put it out on our social media. You can follow the Big Chill Podcast on Twitter or on Instagram, and you can see the image of their shirts. But basically, they have the World Cup shirts they will be wearing. Their logo, their their badge, the the Denmark badge, and the logo of the manufacturer of the kit are extremely difficult to see. They are a very similar color. It's like a blurry swoosh. No, they're not blurry. <laughs> they're not blurry. It's just they're very similar color to the shirt itself. And so basically what it will look like from a distance is that Denmark are either just wearing a plain red shirt or a plain white shirt. And that is their sort of protest to the World Cup being held where it is. In addition to that, I mean, one of the other protests that will be taking place is that I think eight European countries have signed up to, including England, has signed up that the captain will be wearing an armband with the uh, rainbow uh, flag you know, on it um, to sort of protest the Qataris' approach to LGBTQ rights. So that will be that will be a you know what they'll be doing but it's um we we're, we're we're gonna have a future guest on hopefully to talk about how prepared it appears the world cup is in the as there's still some doubts uh, about whether or not they are actually in a position to host a world cup right now but we'll interesting to they see. have plenty of time yeah only a month you can build a stadium yeah. in that time and then news came out today. I mean, uh, official bids for the 2030 World Cup are being announced. Uh, and those bids include Spain and Portugal will be will be announcing a joint bid with Ukraine also as the third, with Ukraine forecast to host one match in the group stages, but just as a way of incorporating Ukraine into that bid, which I think is a smart move from Spain and Portugal because it's a great way to make their bid appeal Oh, 100%. Like it's way more attractive. Um, they are then up against the, the, the it's likely to be, uh, so Uruguay, Argentina, Chile, and Paraguay have announced that they would be making a four-country bid to host. Uh, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Greece are expected to submit a joint bid. Um, and there is also the possibility that Israel, the United Arab, United Arab Emirates, and Bahrain could also submit a joint bid. I'd have to say, with having just being held in, held in Qatar, it'd be a bit of a difficult pill to swallow to see it be right back in the Middle East uh, eight years later. But I mean, it doesn't really matter because after 2026, you know, all other World Cup host venues will be nothing compared to that one. So, yeah, yeah, it's possible. But. No, some interesting news there from be interesting to see who who wins that particular bid. So any other sports news from the weekend? No, not that I can think of. Should we do our weekly TV dive? We can go for it, yeah. (laughs) Are you caught up on House of the Dragon? Fully caught up on everything, yeah. Wow, okay. How are we feeling about the time jump in house of dragon 
then leading to the emergence of seven new child characters who scream <laughs> on screen. <laughs> I think this show is terrible. See, now I think that's unfair. In no way can you call this show terrible from a production value, from the oh, from a production. standpoint. Okay, hold on. Let's talk production value. When the little kid flew that dragon and was around that dragon. Oh, you mean Harry Potter flew that broomstick? That Because <laughs> that's what it reminded that me was... of. It reminded me of Harry Potter, either, either the first time he rides a broomstick or when him and Ron get in that car that they can't control. They're just like, wah, that was. Wah! That was some of the worst CGI I've seen in the last 10 years. Like from a major production, now, that looked awful. Now, this is where there are multiple people that I've listened to who think that was amazingly done. No, that are whole they scene. blocked? I, I'm, not, I'm not joking. They, I'm not was joking. Was this Ray Charles' podcast? Who, who, who are you listening to? <laughs> no, I, I mean, there's been several podcasts and reviews I've read that thought that entire scene was amazing. Also, the I will not have my mind swayed about how terrible the graphics look fundamentally for such a high production show. And in particular, which we'll talk about, I guess, after, when you con- contrast how good everything looks in The Lord of the Rings to that scene, yeah. it looks like a high school project versus a Hollywood movie. Like, there's no way when you're watching them in like yeah. a, within a couple of days each other that you don't go, oh, no, 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 this is one of these is operating in a different stratosphere. But more on this, that scene in particular, that kid goes from having the arm and upper body strength to hold on to a saddle as a dragon flies through the air to then have being beaten up by a couple of younger kids. I mean, what happened to him? Guys, because an absolute beast when he's on the back of a dragon, but as soon as you put him on the ground, he's he's just a weakling. Well, I don't know, though, because if you, if you rewound in the beginning of that episode, he is like this timid little kid. He then rides this dragon, and then he comes into that that cave with some with some BDE with some big dragon energy. <laughs> he's just, you know, he just got on that dragon and he's he's rocking that BDE and he's pushing these girls out of the way. You don't give a fuck anymore after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I will say at least if I did not enjoy that episode much. The funeral scene that just was 15 minutes of people just glancing at each other with nothing being said. I didn't need that. That was like actually See, being at a funeral. I, I know we were supposed to be reading into, oh, the, the dynamics between everyone because he's looking but not talking. She's looking, not talking. It, it could have taken, it's my consistent gripe with this show, something that could have taken 90 seconds and been, you could have got everything you needed from it, instead takes nine minutes. Yeah, that doesn't bother me at all. Like I, I enjoy slow or paced shows because I think you can get some character development out of that. So I'm okay with that. The so getting back to that dragon scene, the initial part when he faces the dragon, I thought that was the CGI was fine on that. That was cool. I mean, I, it, it's got to be difficult to make a monster dragon and have it like almost breathe fire at a person. That looked good. And then like having him climb on the back with the, the rope, that was cool. That was fine. But why they insist on having that riding scene when they know it looks bad. I No one saw that. No one saw that and thought, wow, you know what, guys? Our CGI has improved. 
this looks pretty good. I see. I disagree with you on almost all of that. I mean, I don't disagree with you on the writing looking bad, but even in the scene where he's interacting with the dragon, maybe the dragon itself doesn't look too bad, but it cuts back to him. And in the background, it's just very clear. He's behind it, like in front of a green screen. And I hate, it's not a green screen. While they're using the, it's that, yeah, they're using the, I forget what they call it here. I would bet my, I would, I would bet my life. They did not use that for that scene. I would bet my life. You don't think so? No. Because it looks so obvious, the just how he was. If you compare that with, you know, it's the thing they use right in Star Wars, where it's like the in Mandalorian. Yeah, that you don't get that image where the 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 actor themselves. There's kind of a clear outline between them and the background. In that, I felt like you could just it. It, it just looked bad. It just and I, and again, it's it's a little unfortunate because you. I am directly comparing it to the Lord of the Rings, which looks amazing. Like everything they do looks amazing. And then you watch Game of Thrones and it's just like, ah, this isn't so good. Yeah. I Lord of the Rings is operating, I think, double the budget. So that might have something a don't, little bit to do with it, but still. With, with, then, with then, double, then don't put that scene with, in, With right? double the budget, Th- with double the budget, they are delivering a hundred times the results. Even if I were, if I were, if I'm the you know producer or whatever on Game of Thrones, and I'm seeing the difference, I'd be like, how much more are they spending on their CGI like team? Twice as much? Okay, fire everybody. Because <laughs> just twice. Yeah. Because <laughs> see, I I'm not as down on it as you. I think every most. I think the dragons for the most part look pretty good. I think okay. the issue is they still. They still can't knack getting them riding a dragon. So then just don't do it. Yeah. Like, you know, it looks, but every time you've seen a scene of just like a dragon flying, it's fine. It's in cool. the distance. Every time you see a person close up on a dragon, it's the dopiest looking <laughs> thing. It's never looked good. And, and then just that whole scene, it was, it was very, for Game of Thrones, which is such a serious adult show. That was right out of like a Harry Potter. Oh scene, yeah, that that scene. It was brutal. And then the only other part that really really annoyed me is then when they all get together to figure out what happened, and the first twenty seconds is just a bunch of kids screaming like he did this, or he did that, and it was just all of them for. And they let it go for so long. I was like, can you guys just fucking <laughs> shut up already? <laughs> and again, so I think I think you have more. You give them more breaks because you enjoyed you've enjoyed the books and you enjoyed the TV show the first time around. I'm kind of judging it from, I'm not a game of Thrones person and I just really don't think it's particularly good. Yeah. I think, well, I think what's really happening and it's weird that not so many people are mentioning this. Maybe they are, but you don't, you know, I guess maybe the podcast I listen to are all pro Thrones, but the original game of Thrones was based on books that were written with everything in it, you know, dialogue, story progression, all of this. This show is based literally off a fictional history book. And when you read the book... Not this, not this fictional history book nonsense again. Yeah, but, but, when you, but when you read the book, it's literally like reading a history book. So it would be as if you picked up, let's say 500 years oh. down the road, you picked up a high school book and wanted to be like, oh, let's make this into a movie. And it's just World War II. This day, this happens. Fast forward six months. Now, this is a big battle. Fast forward three months. Now, th- and that's how the book is written. You can't make a show 
just highlighting highlighting big events for one day I and don't... then say, you know, like, oh, how how come no one's invested in this character? We we gave him three minutes of screen time and then we killed I, him. No one cares. I don't even think there's. I think there's just a a lack of big events too. You know, we're but these are the big events. No, in, I get that in the history I, like this. I, Big event, they get Vagar. You know, like Team Green gets Vagar. That's a huge event, and like that's Team all that Green. was. This whole, yeah, that's what they're called. <laughs> what this? They call them the this Greens. Fucking laser quest. Didn't you, didn't you see her? She said it. <laughs> they no, they call them the Greens because they because it's uh, High Tower and they wear green. But anyway, like that was the whole. That's why that the episode was an episode it was because the main thing was to show that that happens and then. Uh, they get married at the end. So you're literally just putting in like historical context and making an episode out of it. And that's not the way, that's not what made Game of Thrones fun originally. It was like the dialogue and and like the like the the quips and the, the way they talk to each other. That's what made it fun. Yeah. And I my only other big takeaway, um the the guy who plays who who's the the gay prince? I don't. I like. I'm not good with any of their names. Lenor. Lenor. I, he looks like Deli Alley, and I I can't get it out. <laughs> Especially with the shaved yeah. head. It is. <laughs> That's pretty good. I just thought. Uh, he does look like Deli Alley. I just thought. Uh, this is where Deli Alley's gone. This is why his footballing career's gone downhill. He's committed himself to acting. It's not going much better. No. <laughs> I mean, he really looks like Deli Alley. Oh, that's pretty good. Oh, that is that is good. But yeah, and and that also, I guess the other issue is that episode then had like like that like the scene of faking his death. They just they did all of that in forty five seconds, and that felt like that bit could have yeah. been cut down on the funeral bit, and let's let's spend a little bit more time on them plotting this. I guess it leaves us in doubt as to whether or not it was intentional that they were faking his death. It's implied, I guess, that it was. But, you know, there's... It's just... You could have... That would have been been way more interesting than watching people awkwardly stare at each other at a funeral for 15 minutes. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it even more pathetic of... Not pathetic, it's a little harsh. But what the writers and the directors are doing because... That is a part that doesn't happen in the book. So it's like, oh, let's change it from the book a little bit, but do it really poorly. You know, so like it's it's almost in, embarrassing that the things that they're changing, they're doing really badly. Like that was uh, that 20 seconds and and everyone, you know, no one really gets what happened at first. No. And you kind of have to think about it a little bit. Like, are they in another? Oh, you're supposed to think that? No, I think it was just a done poorly. Yes. That you didn't pick up on the fact that uh, Damon Targaryen kills the guy that they eventually throw into the fire. Like, n- not many people picked up on that. But that's what that guy was. Yes. Yeah, when he when he's up on one of the yeah, guards. He, that's the guy that's yeah, in yeah, the yeah, fire. Yeah, when he, so technically they're definitely in on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. The, but the like, meaningless you have to really think yeah, about yeah, it. Like yeah. it shouldn't be that hard to think about whether they're in on no, it. No, no, no. Yeah, the meaningless <laughs> killing of a random guy that just yeah. happened. Poor poor servant. Yeah. Just happened to be there. Uh, no, no, you're right. <laughs> that poor guy. No, you're right. Like there's there's that bit that just doesn't they could have shown, they could have plotted. And 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 yes, I guess they would say, like, oh, we tricked you because we made it seem as if 
this guy's lover had turned against him for money. And yeah, as it, but it's a cheap trick. And as it turns out, it's like, no, they've just accepted to go off and have the life that they want to have together somewhere else. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit dumb and they could have just spent more time on it. It would have been more interesting. Yeah. And I guess let's contrast that with Lord of the Rings, which I am enjoying more right now than Game of Thrones. Oh, it's not close. For sure. It's not close. I'm I'm like genuinely disappointed that we're getting towards the end of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, only eight episodes. That's yeah. Sucks. Whereas Game of Th- Game <laughs> of Thrones, if you told me it got canceled tomorrow, I would not be. I wouldn't miss a beat. Yeah, and see now I'll also contrast this by saying most people who are big Lord of the Rings fans did not like this last episode. This was their least favorite episode, and I thought it was overall really good episode uh yeah um yeah so the war episode we're, ta- we're talking about the war episode for whoever is not yeah if you're not caught uh, the battle um they didn't like it what because it was inconsistent with the the canon a little bit of that and a little bit of uh, like the battle takes away from what makes lord of the rings great which is the other stuff and not the battles but then they forget that the battle of helms deep is like the greatest filmed battle yeah. sequence in all of in all of t- movie history I, I feel like a lot of the hobbit and the lord of the rings sort of has major battle scenes even in the, within the books like as as pivotal moments yeah. i do think the only issue i always find and look it's just there's not much you can do, but the only issue I always find with Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit or whatever it is, is like every battle follows a very similar like plot development, which is it's going okay. Winning. It's going okay. Uh-oh, they're screwed. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, no, here comes, yes! here comes the saviors. <laughs> it's either eagles or people on horses or whoever it is, or it's, Gan- or white or it's Gandalf or whatever. <laughs> here, swoop in, battle over, battle one. There we go. Like... That's the only issue. It's a little bit formulaic, but I mean, I guess what are you going to do? That's just sort of how you have to go. And then it was frustrating that it took them so long to look at the sword, broken sword. That That is my biggest knock so far on this entire show is you get someone to chase down someone through the entire forest because they have said special weapon and then you capture them and no one even checks the weapon no. and all- especially galadriel who would definitely be interested in being like why did i chase this guy down what was this so important i i might know because i've been on earth for 700 years yes. i might have insight that someone else doesn't yes nah it's okay i'll just keep it wrapped up also <laughs> when it then turned out to just be like a like a hatchet, like an axe, uh, like a little small axe. It doesn't even have the same similar shape. Like even if it was wrapped up, it would have been completely different. But it, the hand feel, yeah, but especially from the elf, right? Who have special senses yes. and he'd held it before. Yeah. So he knows what it's supposed to feel. And, like. and yeah, it's, and again, they didn't need to have it go that long without having the same result. Like they could have figured it out pretty quickly and still had the guy already at the fort putting it in like they could have done that without them looking like idiots for 30 minutes my my other slight pet peeve about this show why are they obsessed with galadriel being obsessed with riding horses (sighs) why is that like a thing it's slightly awkward it's getting to the point where it's it's slightly uncomfortable (laughs) 
I think I think my other bigger issue is too. The elves are so overpowered, right? Like when you see them fight, they're just so they're so unbelievably good that it just also has to follow that plot of like, no, no, no we have to like make them intentionally weak for a second so that they have a risk of being killed. But then every other moment, it's like, no, 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 they're all seeing like can dodge anything all over the place, moving super fast, catching arrows, doing whatever it is, like, you know, swinging on the underside of a horse to avoid something. But then the next second. That was bad. Yeah, no, it's very cool. But then it's just, an, it's like part of you questions like, wait, why did they need anyone else's help to defeat all these orcs in the first place? You know, like, why couldn't, <laughs> wouldn't an army of elves just beat everyone? Like, what's the issue here? Yeah, they don't want to, though. They're tired of winning these fucking yeah. wars. And, they, and they're worried about their tree. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's 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 a fun show. I I enjoy it. It it does have that you're right. It, it, it's Lord of the Rings, right? It's always going to have that eventually the good guys are going to win kind of thing. And and I as long as you know that going in, I don't think it takes away from it at all. You know, like I know that's going to happen, right? I mean, that's that's what Lord of the Rings is. Is the the unsung hero is going to prevail and and I, you I guess know, they they semi lose this one right over time because like Mordor is still there yeah but you already know what's going to happen at the very end yeah I know but you know what I mean like they still (laughs) semi like this isn't like a because it's the beginning of the story it's not a conclusive victory for them in the end anyway so no 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 No. I mean a bit the big question mark right is is who is the the internet is well there's two Who's the guy? Who's who's the, yes, who's, who's the king of who's the, of the Southlands? Oh yeah, because okay. and then who is the stranger? Yes, but the, there's some speculation that the king of the Southlands is hundred percent. He's a hundred percent Sauron. Yeah, you think so? Hundred percent. Yeah, I am full in on on Sauron camp. Okay, because he doesn't exist in the books. So this is the thing that's causing that character. It does not exist. So that's what's causing the speculation. And yes, in that episode where he was very much hinting at it, like, oh, but it felt like when I was fighting with you, it felt different. Like there is. We were bound. Yes. He's, he uses the word bound. Yeah. And you know what the ring does? It binds them all. <laughs> that was like a big, I swear to God, these are like, like every little subtle indication. Yeah. And, and of, then, of that yeah, the other guy I've gotten, the other wizard or whoever it is who's descended from the stars got no idea who he is well that that'll be an interesting one because a lot of people obviously think gandalf but i think but gandalf technically wasn't around during this time so if it's gandalf people are going to be super pissed off because it is very off canon and they are doing a lot of things off canon because the middle the second age is i think two thousand years long or something like that and they're condensing it literally into like 50 years so obviously things aren't aren't going to be on track, but that would be like a major deviation. So while many people think it's Gandalf, I I don't think they're going to do the that. things. I, and again, I'm not going too deep into the rabbit holes. Most of the stuff that I've read about it has dismissed the idea that it's Gandalf. People also think it, that might be Sauron as well. That that's what I felt like at first. Because then it kind of made sense that the people were looking for him and there's this kind of evil element to him. That's where I was going originally until then, obviously, this plot with the king of uh, the Southlands kind of, yeah. they started to hint at that more. But yeah, I'm, 
It'll be interesting to see, but that's way more interesting to me than, than the house of the dragon. Yeah. And I think that they've done a good job too with both of those shows. You know, the ending, you already know exactly what's going to happen at the end, but this show, Lord of the Rings, is doing a better job of having little things in there that are still slight mysteries. And, you know, like like this, who is Sauron, who's the stranger, things like that. Whereas the Game of Thrones one, it's really not. It's like, oh, here comes next milestone in story. Here comes next big thing in story. And nothing is really, like, there's not much mystery about it right now. No. Yeah, and I guess the issue you'd say is, would... I know that there's obviously hardcore Tolkien and Lord of the Rings Hobbit fans um, who hate it. Who hate it? <laughs> I th- most, I think, most devoted Tol- Tolkien people hate it. But then at the same time, like I think the because per- they're racist. <laughs> the, percent- <laughs> the percentage of Game of Thrones fans who are hardcore is like a lot higher because it's just a more recent thing, and you had the TV shows and the books yeah. are recent and stuff. So I feel like they have to be a little bit more careful. Also, the thing too is, right, Amazon didn't buy the rights to all of it. That's where it's crazy. So they've only got the rights to this little element of the story. So they have to be careful in terms of like parts they touch on of the storyline that actually isn't mentioned directly in these books. So they're sort of having to sort of tiptoe their way around parts of it where they're like, oh, people are being critical of them. Like, why aren't you going into more detail about this backstory? It's like, well, they can't because yeah. they don't have the rights to it. They can't. Yeah. It, that is the craziest part. So if anyone really wants to do a little like rabbit hole, you can go into like what Amazon has the rights for, but doesn't. It's it's it, and the ways they're getting around it. So when you really dive into it, like they can't mention a character's name, but they can like they've already done it in one or two instances where they've mentioned the nickname in a different language that translates to the nickname that's in the book that they can't say. It's crazy the way they're trying to get around yeah. it. Uh, so yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. And it's, it's kind of unfortunate that they just don't have all the rights. Yeah. You know, it kind of is annoying at the end of the day. And then my <laughs> other, my slight gripe with both of the shows is just, I get why they have to switch to the languages at times, but like when and why they do it, at least in Lord of the Rings, it, it tends to make a little bit more sense. Like the elves amongst themselves are much more likely to be speaking elvish or whatever it is. In in House of the Dragon, it's just two of them speaking English. And then all of a sudden, like, and then, and then switching back to English. And I just wonder, oh, were those words that the actor could say more easily? You know, like, why have you chosen which bit? apart from unnecessarily showing us that this fictional language exists, like why are you switching at times? Oh, come on, Eddie. People love that. I'm sure other people... Like when they start, like at the end, when they start talking Valerian, when uh, Rhaenyra and Damon start talking it, it's because, you know, like they're Targaryens, Eddie, and they want to be Targaryens and live the Targaryen life. So that would be fine to me if they were always... (laughs) I know, but they started in English. And then finish in English. (laughs) And if there was some consistency there, either if it was when they're all alone. Well, at least Damon's finishing now. <laughs> oh. If it was like when they're all alone or if it was the opposite, if there was someone else around them and they wanted to have a private conversation, so they switched this language, all of that would make sense to me. But the idea that you just start speaking in English and then midway through the conversation go, no, I'm going to say this in the other language. And then 
the other person responds and then, you know, well, let's switch back to English now. Yeah, that, that bit frustrates me. But yeah, closing in on both of those shows about another month or so and both will be done. And then we'll have to get into Mighty Ducks too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I guess I'll talk to you later. Yeah. See ya. See ya.